It was the beginning, Tagla said, when music was born and the voices of souls filled the skies. The voices made the air and that which is above the air, the very heavens we sing to. All was harmony. But other sounds came and sang without harmony, indeed out of tune, as they wished. And when they sang against the melody, they turned to rock and dirt, and they fell to our world to form solid ground. These are the lamentable first sounds. At seven years old, Randall envisioned brown and gray debris falling out of the sky. In his mind, he could see where the pieces landed to form creation. Tagla continued, When the other voices saw the confusion, some became sad for the unhappy silent clumps. Those with compassion sang out of tune likewise to join their brothers. Out of the sky the second voices fell as before with the first voices, yet less discordant than the prior, less descending, the compassionate voices, for that is their name, became all living life. Trees, plants, and races of beings sprouted out of sympathy for the first that had fallen. The benevolent actions of the latter pleased the melody, and seeing such charity for the lost souls, the melody permitted true harmony to remain in their souls. But Master Tagla, the youth said, where did the voices of the souls come from? The storyteller played with an idea in his head as if he had heard it but had forgotten it. He pointed his finger at the tip of his ear. Such a fine question, and I have heard, he exclaimed, that as it was so long ago, no one knows except Grandfather, who is very old, who then told it to me. I do remember one matter, he hesitated for effect. In the beginning, when music was born, out of the stuff of our dreams came the voices of our souls and made all. Randall loved this memory, but it faded, and another vision took over. He was in his home for catechism. His teacher began the lesson. Long ago, during the regent's wealth, legions of forgotten road builders reared up the heads of the shaved slabs and ordered them side by side in tribute of the great pact, a treaty before the golden peace, which, as you know, lasted two hundred years. Since John the Dolphin, the lord of the regions, had authorized the collection of tribute to rebuild the major cities in the realm, the Regents' Council had proclaimed this tribute in honor of the Dolphin's own mountain people, decimated in the Fire Wars. Zex, Pear, Fair, and Glendary funded the reconstruction based upon population and those willing to give in honor of the struggle for accord. Tomplin was not made part of the pact, for it is a wild people. When the regents removed capital punishment as one of the many reforms in the regent's wealth, the gnome received all criminals and treasoners, except for the barbarian heartborns whom the regents exiled in the gnomed. The fire in the pipe smoldered as Randall's haze quavered. Soon his stupor would dissipate into sleep without too ill of an effect. Half his wits still functioned, and he tried to move away from his visitor, but his efforts stirred the strange woman who relit his pipe and asked him to recite more tales. The smoke again dispatched Randall into rapture, and he resettled into his delightful disability with his benefactor. Randall told her, I'm thankful to have been born in the Silver Peace. 
although the advent of civil strife in Tomklin has added a bend of corrosion. In the last few years, judges have suborned their justice with demands for kickbacks. Their dockets are over ten years unresolved. In other parts, organized corruption has sprung out of trading groups, backed by violent gangs and Zex and Pear. Yet it's not as bad as before the Golden Error. Randall droned in his preachy monologue. Prior to the region's wealth, massive wars had eradicated the cultures between the lesser mountains of the Four Divides. Fair and Glendary, Pear, Zex, and Tomplin were cut off from each other, and not until Randall was in his fifth and final catechism did his teachers reveal the complete history of the Fire Wars. His opiate-inspired visitor listened quietly as Randall sermonized. I remember my older sister, Josephine Wren, sat down next to me and our teacher offered a prayer to each regent. The teacher began, When news reached the outer parts of all the known world, that a plague had spread over the civilized regions, that legions had died and cities had been burned to dispel the diseases, out came the despots to rule over the weakened peoples. As tyrants enslaved populations from as far as the grassy plains to the deltas and marshes, the known world divided. Brothers, sisters, cousins turned into strangers, for travel across the four divides became too dangerous. Randall sadly pondered the thought of being unable to visit his loved cousin in northeastern fair, Oksana Somalin, whom he had nicknamed the Red for her fiery red hair. The teacher went on. A simple thing like a river became a territorial boundary that hewn down good-natured brotherliness. Suspicions and fear of the unknown bred by the conquering tyrants grew among those who lived on the left and those on the right. Alliances of closed minds formed among the increasingly callous people, and yet no single clan could maintain the delicate balance of their power, and each, within a generation or less, easily imploded. Through the exciting haze of McLeish's best, Randall recited the repulsive names of the tyrants to his hallucination. There were the Hectors of Shmita Valley, the Clarsdell of Hindsfeet Highlands, and the Punjirib, who controlled the trade in the city of Jizrib, but the ugliest of the lot were the Heartborn clans. Too numerous and schismatic to ever number, those Heartborn clans stole and pillaged from all and rose to become the strongest among the wicked. Some, they say, hoarded vast wealth in the balm from their raids, but I do not believe those tales, and all the while learning and meditation fell by the way. Within seven generations, ignorance became as vast as the great seas. Indeed, after the Reconstruction, hopefuls, their nickname, had departed the fairer lands to search for the rumored stashes in the balm, but each returned empty-handed, spent, with bruised bodies, and some without full company. The old ones never left any clues or maps, Randall told the fairy companion. For all anyone knew, Glendary itself could be sitting on the clan's hidden caches. Randall's effort at rational thought rejuvenated him. Their own ignorance is as vast as the two knights across the balm, Randall quietly spoke to the small womanish figure. The fabled two knights was Randall's sole interest in traveling to the balm, his journey's end. After six months' preparation, Randall began his time-consuming goal not to find the buried wealth from the fire wars, but to find a priceless treasure, the riddance of his damned nightly visitors.